All right, we are back now, and thanks for joining us on OT on OTR. We have Zach and Rick and Nancy and our guest, Richard. Richard, uh, you've followed Donald Trump, as we all have, and he's uh, sort of given the indications he's kind of an vindictive, vindictive person. So given the acrimony between he and this governor in the state of Michigan, one, do you expect him to come into Michigan to campaign against her? And two, if he does, will it work? Uh, I would fully expect him to be engaged in the Michigan governor's race. Uh, the question of will it work? Uh, I think, you know, <laughs> one of the things we've already seen w is wait a that. Minute. Wait a minute. What was that <laughs> about? Well, because I, you know, voters are already in their corners. The Democrats and the Republicans are in their corners. I don't think Donald Trump is going to help or hurt the effort at this stage simply because Republicans are motivated, Democrats are motivated. And if this becomes a just another rehash of the 2020 race, Whitmer will win. Uh, we've seen that now. We've seen it in 18 and 20. If Democrats are motive to, motivated to vote, they're going to win. The question for Republicans, and it's whoever the Republican nominee is going to be, they face the same challenge Bill Schuette faced. And that is how do you go from winning this Trump loving Republican electorate to more, you know, to pivot to independents who don't love them. And you have to win a majority of those Southeast Michigan independents. And you're not gonna do that by simply loving Donald Trump. So if you were a Republican candidate running for governor, you would not want Donald Trump's endorsement, yes or no? Oh, you have to have Donald Trump's endorsement to win the nomination. Well, then you've got it's a problem. All right. You have a big problem. Well, and so how do you finesse that? Well, I don't know. I think you need to ask the Republicans that. Uh, you know, clearly Bill Schuette wasn't able to do it. Uh, he had a very hard time pivoting to independent voters. Uh, you know, I think at some point the Republican Party has to look at these numbers and move on. Nobody, nobody's voting on relitigating the past election. They're voting on 2022 and they're voting on the future. The question is, will the Republican electorate allow whoever their nominee is to focus on the election ahead rather than relitigate the past election? Mr. Pluto. Um, Richard, would it be fair to say that in Michigan, we don't have a true majority party at the moment? Well, we don't have party registration. So, you know, we have about 20% who are independents. And that shifts based on how you ask the question, you know, when you consider leaners of Democrats and Republicans. Uh, I, you know, I don't think Michigan has ever had a majority party, to be honest, because of that fact that we don't have party registration. And there are so many independents. This is what makes Michigan a purple state. It's what makes it a fascinating state, frankly. Uh, voters, there are, there are a pretty substantial group of voters that tend to swing both ways in, in elections. And you can't count on them being one way or the other. And they, frankly, history shows they tend to like incumbents. And I think one of the things we miss when we talk about incumbents running for re-election in Michigan is it's very hard to switch somebody's vote once they've already cast a ballot for them. They've invested in that person. You mean in future elections? In future elections, yeah. yeah. Nobody wants to be told they made a bad decision. 
or they made a bad investment in a candidate. So, you know, for example, Donald Trump, there was so much talk about how many Republicans were going to abandon Donald Trump. Well, very few did because those who had invested their vote in him didn't want to feel like they were wrong. Nancy? Um, You know, we were talking earlier about how to win uh, Democrats need Southeast Michigan and how uh, Kent County and Oakland County were hugely decisive in the last election. And it was women in those places, right? And have we seen any evidence whatsoever that Donald Trump appeals to suburban women who may be on the fence, who may have sat an election out? Um, That doesn't seem like, that he seems like a strong negative if you're trying to get suburban women. Well, let's look at Oakland County as an example, which was once rock rib Republican, you know, the the breadbasket of the Republican Party vote. And, you know, going into that last election, I remember having a conversation with Kathy Gray saying that Oakland County is going to be a bloodbath for the Republican Party. And it's not just women. It is the Republicans have to focus on college educated men, too in this political realignment that's taking place nationally and here in Michigan, uh, college educated voters are shifting to the Democratic Party and those without a college education are shifting to the Republican Party. And one question I have going into the next election is, you know, have Republicans inherited the Democrats uh, off year election problem where those voters are less engaged in off year elections and they have to work harder at turnout? Zachary? Well, that kind of nicely segues to the question I was going to ask, which is, it seems to me the big, really big question going into 2022 is what does the electorate look like? Um, You know, if you start at like 2016, Republicans seem to have this, at least it's shown up in three election cycles now where Trump is on the ballot, their people are coming out to vote in in very, very large numbers um, and are able to keep you know, a statewide race pretty close. Um, but if he's not on the ballot, he, you know, much as when Barack Obama was, wasn't on the ballot, his popularity didn't transfer to other Democrats. It seems like Donald Trump's uh, support so far, we haven't seen any sign that he can transfer it when he's not on the ballot. How big a problem do you think that is for the Republicans? And then what about, you know, it used to be for forever, the Democratic midterm jinx, where if the presidential race wasn't on the ballot, uh, their voters just simply didn't show up uh, and they were getting blitzed uh, in the midterm. And now you've got a Democratic president in the White House. That's, t- you know, typically the party out of power has the motivation to show up. So you've got all these cross currents. And then you just mentioned, you know, we haven't had a governor uh, lose uh, an attempt at a second four-year term ever since we went to the four-year term. Again, lots of cross-currents. What are, what are you seeing there? Well, I completely agree with you. There are a million different cross-currents that we necessarily haven't had in a governor's race here taking place in 2022. Uh, this is like any election. This one's going to come down to who actually votes. Democrats have notoriously had problems in off-year elections. Uh, but they also relied on non-college educated workers in those elections. And now they're relying more heavily on college educated workers. I go back to the key number that I always look at, which is that motivation to vote number on a one to 10 scale. And we are right now sitting at a motivation to vote of 9.2 out of 10. That is actually higher than January of 2018, where we saw really strong turnout. 
voters race, not quite the levels we were seeing in the 2020 election. But it says there's a lot of people who are going to vote. And, you know, we, we talked about Donald Trump earlier. If this election continues to be about Donald Trump, both sides are going to vote heavily. He has a remarkable ability to motivate voters to vote. And I think that's something we need to remember here. If Donald Trump becomes a central issue, both sides are going to vote heavily. Uh, finally, uh, Richard, uh, does the governor have a voting problem with male voters? I was looking at your crosstabs last night and people that were somewhat disapproving or strongly disapproving, males was about 60 percent. That's a huge number. I wouldn't say it's just the governor. I would say it's the Democratic Party. But look at the reverse of that, as Nancy pointed out. Female voters are sharply in favor of her. This is one of the great uh, uh, divides we see in American politics right now, not just Michigan politics. Women voters are sharply Democratic. Uh, male voters are moving sharply Republican. It's that kind of cross current we're dealing with. And it really, I, I cannot underestimate enough just how sharply that cross current plays across educational lines. And so the popular wisdom is more men, excuse me, more women than men vote, therefore, some Republicans might be in trouble. Well, that's why I think Democrats have done well in Michigan in 2018 and 2020. And now we have the prospect of the Wild West redistricting coming up. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what these lines are going to look like. And I don't think anybody at this stage can predict what the legislature is going to look like. You wouldn't I, want to do that I because think, go ahead. Go ahead, Nancy. I think I think it's absolutely we have to mention that we're talking about gender based approval or disapproval of the governor. Um, I think we have to, you know, acknowledge that she's a woman and that there's still a, a pretty strong undercurrent of misogyny that runs through our politics. And if we're going to talk about a sharp, sharp difference uh, in approval from female and male voters, this is not all about policy. There are still uh, people who are, and you know, we saw this last year in some of the objections to uh, her pandemic provisions. We saw this in the language of the people who are plotting against her. There are still people who resist women as executives. Um, there's, a, there's a professor at U of M whose name escapes me, who has done some fascinating work where he shows people pictures of candidates and then has software that slowly morphs the candidate's face into their own face. And people's approval of the candidate increases the more the candidate looks like them. So when we say we're looking for ourselves in candidates, it's, it's not that we're looking for someone who sort of agrees with us. We're literally looking for ourselves. And um, you know, we've had women, um, people of color, LGBT people. We've had years, decades, centuries of being represented by people who don't look like us. Um, men, no offense, guys, haven't had the same experience. Yeah, leaders have looked like you, and you're not necessarily used to seeing um, and identifying with people who aren't like you. Um, and not you guys. You guys, I'm sure, are all very, uh, very uh, open to all of this. But it still continues to be a substantial penalty for women. Richard, we'll give you the last word. Well, I would, I would argue that misogyny is a problem on both sides of the aisle. I mean, if you remember when Governor Whitmer was running, there were a lot of Democratic men who are arguing we need a man at the top of the ticket. A lot of people arguing we don't need a full female ticket, which proved to be dead wrong, by the way. Uh, I, I think misogyny is a problem that works across the aisle and it's real. And I think we see it in the numbers and we certainly see it in talking in focus groups. 
Richard, thank you. It's always great to work with you. Have uh, fun. Keep us in the loop and all your numbers, okay? Also, our thanks to Zach and Nancy and Rick. See you right here next week for more Off the Record.